The Chosen Families Project, where everybody is welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Chosen Families Project. My name is Julian Rebello, and welcome back. I know it's been a while, but I've been up to a lot the past couple months. I recently just graduated college and I received my bachelor's in chemistry with honors. I also presented my honors thesis and currently I'm also in Boston University's genealogy certificate program in order to become more professional in the field. And that was amongst a ton of other achievements and ups and downs and things of that nature. But I have not forgotten the Chosen Families Project entirely. Today, I'm going to be talking to you guys about the story of the Berman family, and I'm going to basically show how their photographs are an example of how vernacular portraits and photography intertwined with family and family histories. Now, I first began this research project way back last summer when I went to a yard sale and I found this box full of family documents and photographs, and I had salvaged what I could and I first began researching. So there was a few items that I had recovered at this yard sale, and that included a family photograph album, a naturalization certificate, a high school diploma, which I will also refer to as a Board of Education certificate, and an envelope with a name that contained these photos. Now, the first major clue I saw was on an envelope and Board of Education certificate. The name Nathan Berman was listed on them. And you can actually find actual images of these in the research blog if you wanted to take a look at what they look like. The envelope stated that his address was at 544 Dumont Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. The envelope contained two portraits of Nathan, one in a cap and gown, the other one a black and white portrait that's more formal. The photographs in the envelope were from Delma Studios, located in Brooklyn, New York. Now, according to the Busy Beaver Button Museum, which I thought was really cool, I looked into looking into a little background behind the studios because, you know, they could provide, depending on when the studio was from, they can really tell you a little bit about when the photograph was from. Now, it states that Delma Studios was a school photography company established in the 1930s and based in New York City. During the 1970s and 1980s, Delma Studios took senior portraits of college graduates from UC Davis, Notre Dame, and the University of Michigan, amongst other colleges. The company also captured portraits of high school students for their yearbooks. Delma Studios dissolved in 1986 due to financial struggles, and portions of the company were sold to other American studios, including LifeTouch Incorporated. And I remember when I went to school, LifeTouch was the big company. So it's very interesting to kind of see some background behind that. Now, the photographs are likely to accompany that high school uh, diploma, or the what I referred to before as that Board of Education certificate. And that is dated June 24th, 1943. The other crucial piece of evidence that I had found was this naturalization certificate, which was dated June 27th, 1944, for a Rose Berman. And she was living at the same address as Nathan in Brooklyn. And it was reasonable to conclude that Rose was likely Nathan's mother. And basically, through the process of genealogical research, I was actually able to create a basic family tree in order to confirm these relationships, as well as better tell their stories. Now, I'll first begin with Nathan's father, William Berman. He was born in Brooklyn, New York on the 17th of April, 1901, to parents Morris Berman, who was born in 1877 to 1933, and Rebecca Becky Berman, born in 1874 with an unknown 
um, that they both of Russian descent. The family in the 1910 census first resided on Watkins Street and then had later moved to the 418 Dumont Avenue by 1918. By 1920, William Berman resided with his parents and six siblings, working as an operator in both men's and children's clothing, an occupation that he had held throughout his lifetime, and he had still resided with his family in 1925. Now, on April 1st, 1928, he married Rose Kaplan in Brooklyn, New York at the age of 26. On September 26, 1928, they would have their first and only child, who I talked about earlier with his high school diploma and the portraits as Nathan Berman. In 1930, he would reside at 681 Howard Avenue with Rose and Nathan. So that was the, and when I say these dates, a lot of them refer to census records or some other miscellaneous records like World War I or World War II draft cards, which can provide evidence of families living together based on households and addresses and things of that nature. So, like I said, in 1930, when I said they would reside, it's basically referring to that 1930 census. Anyhow, by 1940, they moved to 1631 Prospect Place, and by 1946, the family resided at 544 Dumont Avenue, which was the address listed on that envelope, according to Nathan Berman's draft card from World War II, which had listed William Berman as his father. And that's how it ties it together, because now we have these multiple pieces of outside evidence that can corroborate and provide correlation to, you know, defining the right family group. And we know that if this Nathan Berman connected to William Berman based on the address card, it all ties together, which is really cool and what I love about genealogy. Now, on October 30th, 1965, at the age of 64, William would pass away, and he is buried in Wellwood Cemetery in West Babylon, New York. Now on to Rose, which was Nathan's mother. Rose Kaplan Berman was likely born on the 24th of December, 1904, in Bialystok, Poland, to parents Nathan Kaplan and Molly Schwartz. Her social security application index lists the same parents to her marriage record, but there is a discrepancy with her birth date, which was listed as the 9th of December, 1903, also in Poland. So that's one thing in genealogy is sometimes you get conflicting records and you have to understand why, who is the informant on each, and kind of consider which one might be a better source per se. Now, because the one from the social security app was the index, whereas this one was one that she physically signed, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Now, according to her naturalization petition for her naturalization in 1944, which was that naturalization certificate I was referring to earlier, Rose was described as having a medium complexion with brown eyes and black hair. She stood around 5'5 and weighed 170 pounds. And now, Something in my genealogy course that I wanted to bring up here is I loved the, they talked about physical descriptions, which is something I kind of, I guess, overlooked, but I feel like, you know, they humanize our relatives and kind of help us understand, you know, what they look like and, you know, how they, like, what space they took up, essentially. And it's just something that my course really you know, wanted us to focus on right now is all these little small details that kind of make up your relative or someone in a potential research project. Anyways, she had arrived under the name Rocha Lee Kaplan to New York, New York, aboard the Zealand on May 30th, 1906. 
Their certificate following this petition dates from June 27, 1944, and that's when Rose became a U.S. citizen. So these, between the graduation pictures, the high school diploma, the envelope that contained those pictures, and this naturalization certificate, this is what ties them all together, you know, building these building blocks, essentially. And it also features her portrait on the certificate itself. And Rose had resided in Brooklyn as of 1950 with her husband, and she would pass away on the 15th of May, 1991, at the age of 86. And she is also buried in Wellwood Cemetery in West Babylon, New York, alongside her husband, William. Now, it's important to note that the couple were likely also Jewish, and this is based on the Hebrew text on their headstone, and one of the census records I noticed had stated that they spoke Yiddish. So again, those are also important clues because if someone is looking for a relative in a Catholic cemetery, you know, they potentially could be in a different cemetery or location based on their religion. So it's just another factor to consider. William and Rose's son, Nathan Berman, was born, as stated previously, on the 26th of September, 1928, in Brooklyn. He was a graduate of Thomas Jefferson High School in 1946, with the portrait included in his high school yearbook, which I had noted previously, being the same as the one I recovered. And when I I remember when I was researching that and I saw that portrait staring back at me, I was like, wow, this is super crazy because then, you know, it's finding these little bits of evidence that, you know, I have the picture in my, you know, in my house right in front of me. And I see it in his 1946 yearbook. So I thought that was really cool. And in high school, he went by the nickname Nat. And he was part of the radio workshop and student patrol. And the relative that had I sent the photographs back to had noted that Nathan was well known for this nickname Nat. And had actually carried it throughout his lifetime. And on his 1946 draft card, it notes that at the age of 18, he was working at the high school as well. And that was based on the location listed of the for his occupation. And Nathan Berman stood around six foot tall with brown hair and brown eyes and had a ruddy complexion. And this draft card also notes that Nathan also had a spinal defect, which is something that I guess now that I'm paying more to these physical descriptions is something I'm going to probably take a closer look at because that could be something, you know, to be considered in the future. And in 1950, he had still resided with his parents, but by 1959, he would marry his wife, Jeanette, and he passed away at the age of 89 on the 22nd of July, 2018 and he and Jeanette had never had any children. And this could be a potential reason for why these photographs had become displaced in the first place. I'll be right back after a quick break to tell you more about the photo album. Now, one of the most interesting pieces of this whole project came with the family photograph album. Now, I wasn't sure at first that this actually had belonged to the family, since many of the photographs in the album were not labeled whatsoever, and, you know, I had to go piece by piece. And just to give you some context, this family photograph album was one of those black, um, it was like on that black paper, it was string bound, and it came with a green leather cover. 
And I had to do this process where I basically digitized every page and loose photograph. And that way I can examine the details further and kind of see whether or not any of the photographs were potentially labeled if they were, you know, a lot of this photograph, mind you, was falling apart. It was, the paper was very brittle, but I handled it as carefully as I could because I think the digital files are even more important, especially now in hopes of potential identification. And this, I was stuck on if this album was related to the family or not until, ironically, I found another graduation portrait. And unfortunately, I don't know who this woman is. It's this black and white portrait. She's wearing a, um, a dark cap and gown. And on the top of this photograph, I remember it was sitting on my desk and I took a look and on the top, it had the initials R. Berman. Now, is this Rose Berman? Potentially, but I couldn't tell. But what I did know is that there was a connection to the Berman family. And as I started looking further, I noticed a lot of the individuals paid similarities to the portrait not only that I had of Nathan, but his mother from that portrait on her naturalization certificate. And this photograph album, when I tell you it was such a treasure trove and a joy to look at, it had hundreds and hundreds of family photographs. And I actually included the full digital album if you want to take a look at this, which I really highly recommend. And these photographs are just a treasure trove of photos from the 1920s to probably the 1940s and 1950s. And I base this not only on some of the dates I saw on some of the photographs, but also of the military photographs. I believe one of them had a date on them of 1944. And just judging from all the kind of surrounding details, it looked to be around that time period. And honestly, these photographs offer such an amazing glimpse into that middle-class American livelihood of the time. And it included scenes of family life, also included scenes like candids, baby photographs, military portraits, souvenirs, small passport photographs, and I just thought this was so cool to see because that was all very common to that vernacular uh, photography period of that era. And, you know, like I said before, these photographs were in like a very, you know, some of them were in great condition, some of them have staining, some of them were falling apart. And a lot of the, what I found very interesting was actually souvenir photographs. One of them that I highlighted was actually taken at a zoo where they visited a tiger exhibit. And a lot of these, I'm not, I have to ask because they're on, it was more like a plate. It wouldn't be, I don't think it was a tintype per se, but a lot of those were actually falling off. Like it seemed to be that kind of tintypey material. Now, some photographs, one of them I believe to be Nathan, just based on his facial features and, you know, from the other portraits I had found previously was this black and white photograph and it was undated and it looks like Nathan is seen posing shirtless and he's possibly at a beach and in this uh it's a small little rectangular portrait he is centered within this frame and he has his hands like folded over one another and he's looking directly into the camera and his look is very like defined so it was really cool to kind of see as I once I found that graduation portrait and then kind of looked further to kind of confirm it I started noticing similarities now, unfortunately, like I said, because many of these photographs were not labeled, I have not been able to pinpoint, you know, 
tons of all these photographs. I'm sure there's not only more photographs of Nathan, but possibly his parents. And what it looks like is a lot of these photographs are multi-generational. So it could in include photographs of Nathan's father, as well as their grandparents. And unfortunately, I have not been able to identify that, but I hope potentially maybe by working with the relative, I can figure that out in the future, possibly. One thing that I found that was so, so special was the organization of these photographs within the album itself. Now, some of my favorite groupings of the photographs contain full images of small black and white portraits and various poses aside from more formal portraits. So in the one page that I highlighted in particular, it has around 16 different of those small black and white portraits that you would see almost like for passports or things like that. And it was of, it looked like a father figure and a child figure. One of my other favorite set of photographs, it shows a man who I don't know the identity of, but he's posing in a white dress, and this is amongst his friends. Now, the first photograph shows him posing on a wooden staircase. He's wearing a white dress and a long cigarette in his mouth, and a man and a woman are kind of in the background in more contemporary clothing on the right side of the photograph, and they look like they're following behind him. And then the second photograph to the right of this shows that same man, and he's surrounded by a group of other men and women, and he's still posing in his white dress with that cigarette in his mouth. And I just thought this portrait was kind of so amazing to see, because it really highlights that, you know, that fun spirit and of these individuals that they had at that time, you know. We usually see these more pose and heavily, you know, dressed portraits, you know, and those are often the ones that stick around. But these little small ones, you know, in contrast to the more formal portraits is just something I really enjoyed seeing from this era. Now, the album also shows that the Burmans, I would say, were part of that middle class lifestyle too. And like I said, one of the more other notable photographs, I highlighted a, a lot of them because there's just so many really cool ones. There And it, I laughed when I first saw this, in all honesty, because I just thought it was so funny. There's a kid, and he it looks like he's on some, like, downtown street. Like, you know, there's a sidewalk and a brick facade behind him, like an iron, you know, an iron gate to the left of him. And he's just sitting on a pony in the middle of, like, a sidewalk, which I just think is so cool. So this past semester, I had taken a history of photography class, and we learned a lot about, you know, formal analysis and various themes that really played into the history of photography. And one of those was the was family and the family dynamic as a whole. And another topic we learned about was snapshot photography. And it kind of showed how the snapshot photos like in this the Berman photograph album are intertwined in capturing this family dynamic as a whole. Author Christopher Musello, in his 1980 essay titled Studying the Home Mode, an Exploration of Family Photography and Visual Communication, notes that family photographs are those that filled the desk drawers, albums, walls, attic chest and closet of boxes of our homes in ways that personal diaries, writings, or documents never have and perhaps never will. Now, they act as forms of native documentation, whereby, and that's a term that Musella used, whereby folklorists, sociologists, psychologists, anthropologists, and others have not only been surprisingly drawn to these materials both as statements about social life 
but as well as experience as personal experience and data of of culture as a whole in regards to family photograph albums specifically musella notes that although the actual storage units into which photographs were sorted were varied the ongoing general family album seems to be the predominant organizing medium supplemented by a general pool of unsorted photographs those depicted in family albums may include a range of family, friends, and relatives. And as a family ages, however, the range generally narrows because relatives are included with less frequency and the immediate family. Now, this is why in the case of the Berman photograph album, a large majority of these individuals could be family, but it's very likely that they included some of their friends too, especially in some of their more playful scenes like when the guy was dressed up in that dress. And another essay I wanted to highlight was by Met Sanby, and this essay is from 2014, just, um, titled Looking at the photo Family Photo Album, a Resumed Theoretical Discussion of Why and How. And here she reviewed three separate photograph albums from different cultures in a historical lens. One of them was from Japan, one of them was from like Norway, and then one, another one was an American album. And she had discussed how family albums, like other forms of vernacular photography, are objects at the same time related to personal, effective, social, and cultural communication. The family photo album is a globally circulating form that not only takes locally specific forms, but also produces localities that creates and negotiate individual stories. She also notes that family albums, like the Burmans, are the type of work that has not been fully integrated into archives and museums, but only exists on shelves and boxes in private homes. And, you know, after reviewing that, you know, it's really crazy to think that a lot of our history and understanding individual cultures is dependent on the family itself because they, you know, were the ones that really highlighted that day-to-day -day of these cultures. And, like I said, they are such important tools in history because they offer these this, and she describes this sociological insight into specific everyday cultures at particular historical moments. And a lot of these could be during wartime periods, especially during the 1940s. A lot of these photographs, there's individuals, a lot of men in uniform, which I thought was really interesting. So that's another way, you know, to date these albums. And... One of my favorite quotes that Sanby says, and this was at the conclusion of her work, is how, you know, albums like the Berman album serve to illustrate how photography's existential dimension and the power to speak one's own history while understanding that photography is both a material and a social practice. And, you know, when you think about that, it's crazy because it really has such a power and, you know, really through interacting with this album you know i got to understand this family and their story i might not know who these people are but you know even though i have some background of them you know just seeing the photos they offer this really cool visual and material grounding to who these individuals were at a different time in history overall I'm very grateful to be able to share the Berman family story with you guys. And not only that, I was actually able to send them back to a relative who I know will deeply enjoy them. And it was just crazy because this relative, I had posted this family tree a while back and I leave all my research trees public with, for found photographs. 
And in this case, it worked. And I remember just jumping for joy and being so happy when this relative finally reached out because I knew Nathan didn't have children. And so I'm happy that all these photographs get all the love they deserve, especially for Nathan, William, and Rose, who, you know, with all of their family's photographs and materials, really show the common everyday life of 20th century Americans who were able to really establish themselves in order to live that American dream, especially um, Rose as like an immigrant and William's parents as immigrants as well. And throughout the summer, I am really hopeful to be able to continue this podcast more regularly. And that's it. So if you have any questions or comments, including on family history research, please email me at thechosenfamiliesproject at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and remember that you are loved, and that you are always welcome here. Take care. Bye.